0: Hey, welcome to the Art Condition Podcast, a weekly show that will discuss the business, community, and often undiscussed stress and mental health concerns of being a professional artist or even a serious hobbyist. I'm Joby. I've been in the tattoo and illustration professions for 25 years. My co-host is Moose, a data analyst, social media manager, and art agent. If you enjoy the content, please consider visiting the Patreon page and the show notes to help support the effort. Or if that's not an option, please like, subscribe, leave a good review, or just share with your friends. And definitely go visit the links of our guests on this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great day. This week, we are talking to Forrest Immel. Forrest is a powerhouse of creative energy. He has accomplished an incredible amount in a very short amount of time. And he talks with the eloquence and confidence of someone well beyond his years. We dive into the various passive income streams he has created with a business model centered around creating artwork that can generate money continuously. We get into a lot of specific details, so it's definitely worth taking some notes. We also talk about his experience in freelance illustration and how that led to the studio he currently works at, and what things artists can do to find the real satisfaction in their careers if studio work is something that appeals to them. And lastly, we discussed the complexities and experiences he has had designing his own game, and what the plans are for the future of getting it made and getting people to buy it. Forrest is great with the story and always puts a smile on your face, so settle in and enjoy. I promise you're going to really like this one. A couple of quick housekeeping notes. We have had a lot of new patrons sign up on Patreon. I'm so grateful for that, and I want to start giving shoutouts at the beginning of these episodes to new supporters. There is no way to overstate the gratitude. So thanks so much to Kalen, Jim, Brian, Tim, Cody, Joshua, and Michael. Lastly, if you haven't heard, I am launching a Kickstarter at the end of January. So if you want to get some cool stuff and help support this podcast, check out the link in the show notes below. And without any more delay, here's the interview forest will you please catch us up to date give us a little bit of your backstory Mm -hmm. and how you got into art and where you're Mm -hmm. at right now um how far back do i go how how
1: long do i like discuss the saga of it
0: i guess 1.5 years
1: (laughs) 1.5 years ago
0: of age
1: of age oh starting at 1.5 years okay um well my consciousness didn't fully develop yet because my neocortex wasn't finished growing i don't think i don't know um no i i actually knew i wanted to be an artist since kindergarten luckily um i really lucked out there um and that i was forced to uh get a book from the library when i was in kindergarten and i hated reading and so I grabbed a book that had the most pictures in it, and it was this cool book of like poems about like mythical monsters and creatures and stuff like that. And uh, with every poem was like this illustration that went with it. And so pretty much from that, I, in my five, six-year-old brain or whatever, I was like, "I want to do this somehow." Um Extend that to when I, you know, I was drawing pretty much my whole life up to that point. Uh, by the time I got to 14, that's when I started taking it seriously and like looking up, you know, how to do this as a career, what it means to become a concept artist or an illustrator and got my first anatomy book. Um, And, uh, yeah, since then, I mean, fr- from there, graduated high school, lived with my parents for, I think, three years as I just studied and Worked at it every day. Tried to get as much freelance as I could, uh, get as good as I possibly could. Until finally, was able to get enough freelance to go full time uh, in 2016. I think about halfway through 2016. Um, and since then, my career has developed from you know small freelance gigs of like twenty five dollars. I think was how much I got paid for my first like several gigs um, of doing like creature concepts. And now I'm doing. Like consistent work with clients like Riot and Blizzard and Magic and people like that.
2: So before we get back into the, uh, <laughs> we have a whole lot we want to cover with you. Like we want to talk about like you, what you're doing before, what you're doing now, what you are doing now, what you're going to be doing in the future. Like those are the three things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned doing illustrations for twenty five dollars or concept art for twenty five dollars a piece. At what point did you realize uh, this is garbage and you should be paid more?
1: A week later, um, <laughs> one week after uh, getting getting that first gig, I was like stressed and my hands were sweating and I was like, I got to ask for more money. I can't do this for this little. And so I sent an email and I was super apologetic because I just started working with the guy and I was like, look, I can't do this for any less than $35. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the guy, of course, was like, Whew. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. Uh, but yeah, sure, we'll we'll make it work, I guess. And then, you know, uh, afterwards, I didn't get any freelance beyond that gig for like four months, maybe five months. And then from there, I think the next client paid me, I think 45 to $50 for the next thing. And like, it slowly climbed up from there, right? From there, it was like, okay, someone's offering me $75. Well, okay, that means someone out there thinks I'm worth this much. And then it was 100. And it was like, okay, now
0: I've reached the 100 mark and kind of would just
1: consistently grow
0: that way. Did your inclination to increase prices solely come from like your own intuition and interaction with clients? Or did you get any feedback from peers where they were like, yo, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: yeah uh I mean I I became friends with uh my my friend uh Brandon who he's he was a full-time freelance artist when I started talking with him and he'd been working for like liquid productions and stuff up in uh Portland Oregon and uh he had a bit better of an idea, you know, of like hey like you can charge this much, like you can make this much off of things and he would send me every now and then like a gig here and there of like look you can just do this icon for like 75 bucks or whatever um and uh that's kind of when I started figuring out like okay I can make more money doing these other things uh but the problem is that I feel like when you're in the realist uh, like realism market and doing like tabletop RPGs and D&D characters now there seems to be this new this new rise in private commission D&D characters that I think a lot of people like can make a pretty decent living off of doing those at the time it didn't seem to be as strong at least like i didn't get uh, a lot of uh, offers for stuff like that and so like if your characters were at this weird in between where like enough of it looked off because it wasn't quite matching with like realism that you're shooting for people generally i don't think like wanted to hire you for that like there wasn't a great open market for like lower level artists even doing like private commissions um and most of the people that would hire me would be like really like early kickstarters with low budgets that you know they would just need a character at some point in this book that they're creating or something so like it didn't matter necessarily if it was the best piece of art it was just something to fill this spot
0: i don't even know if
2: i answered your
1: question in that <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I'm mean, well. I mean, it's one of those things where there's like a lot of moving pieces that will go into it, you know. And that, but it's always interesting to me, like where people get their information from. Thus spake the Beastie Boys, and um, <laughs> why one person gets stuck in this like low cost zone, you know, and another person is able to break out of it. And I mean, mm-hmm. the, the yeah, so um.
2: So your goals initially, were were they to work? I know, I'm going to throw it out there because uh, I know you a little bit. Was it to mm-hmm. work for Blizzard or did you have some other top of the mountain?
1: I had ever since deciding when I was 14, like, okay, I'm going to try and go for this. Um, I knew Magic the Gathering and Blizzard were like the two clients I really only cared about. Um, I didn't care about anyone else too much. I kind of knew there were other clients that acted sort of like as these like, Social status stepping stone, so to speak, amongst other artists, you know. So like, oh, you do Pathfinder and then D and D and then Magic or something like that, um, which isn't true. But like, that in my head, that's kind of how I had structured it. Um, but yeah, those were the only two I ever really cared about working with um, early on. All right,
2: so we're going to start with your earlier career stuff. Uh, you mm-hmm. were doing commissions. You were doing uh, project work for. Uh, Indie projects like for their Kickstarters and things. Mm-hmm. Um, are you comfortable talking about like your way back income, what that was like, or did you have to work a side job, that sort of thing?
1: Oh, yeah, I'll talk about whatever. Um, no, there was no way I was able to make anywhere close to a livable wage back then. Um, I I'm super lucky in that like I graduated high school and I made some sort of like a loose deal. Um, I thought at the time like this is a hard set deal with my mom of like if I'm not I think it was if I can't work full time within a year after graduating um, that I would have to go to college like I'd have to go to an art college or something Um, and I didn't even get anywhere close to that I think by that time I think I was maybe lucky if I made like $300 in a month or something like that um, at that point Uh, but due to like certain circumstances, my mom like saw the growth that I was having and like, I was making more money more people were noticing me and hiring me. Um, and so she didn't really push the college thing on me anymore. And instead was just like, just keep, you know, doing this and hopefully you'll make enough or whatever. And then, uh, luckily I think that summer or the, the summer after that, um, would have been the summer of like 2014, I think. um, So that would have been two years after graduating uh, high school. Uh, I got my first in-house gig at a studio. Um, It was a contract gig. It wasn't full-time. But um, I got to work with them for, like, I think, six months. It was a long time that I got to work with them.
2: And at some point, you started transitioning into trying more, uh, I guess, innovative approaches to generate income through your uh, creation of game art assets, stock art, and, you know, Gumroad tutorials. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which one of those came first?
1: The first thing I tried was doing icons for, like, the Unity and Unreal asset store. Um, Because that's when I had started working in-house at that studio I'd mentioned, Super Genius Studio. And I was doing a lot of that stuff for the studio for all these different clients. And I thought, like, okay, well, like, this is what this studio gets hired to do all the time. This is what most studios get hired to do all the time. Like, I feel like there's gotta be some place for small indie creators, you know, in the same place that like, in the same way people would hire me to do these like small concepts or stock art gigs or whatever, there's gotta be a place for that for icons. Um, And sure enough, people at the studio had been talking about the unity asset store and sharing it around even super genius. They ended up doing their own, like they did some kind of like, visual effects thing that got really popular on the store and made like a lot of money in the first few months that it was out. And so I was like, like, screw it. I think I could do, you know, an icon pack or whatever. And um worked on that over the course of like a month and a half where I would just do like three icons a day and just like turn them out. Um and then I think the first month that it was on the store, I made like four hundred and fifty dollars or something like that. And I was like, that's not incredible given the like month and a half of time but then the month after that it made 400 the month after that it, i think it also made 400 next month 350 and like now it's down to i think probably i maybe make like you know 50 dollars a month off the icons but that's after how many years has it been now oh my god because the new year just happened it's been like six years i think since putting that pack up there Um and so uh what would the total yeah.
2: be roughly
1: oof um <sighs> the first two years were the best um and i ended up coming out with a second pack that didn't do as well but occasionally a couple of them would sell and so i get i'd get you know 15 30 extra dollars um it's got to be in the thousands i'm really not sure uh i mean this year alone i've added more stuff onto the uh onto the
0: you said it's unity
1: been and what was that? Sorry,
0: sorry, you said it, it's been up for about two years? Like you've had those packs up for about two years?
1: No, the packs in total, they've been up for six years. Oh, six um, years. Yeah, okay. in the last cool. couple of years, I added uh, the fantasy character stock art packs that I've done. I added those onto um, the Unreal and, and the Unity Asset Store as well. And so those have kind of helped keep income coming in. Um, I have a sheet, an Excel sheet of all my like passive income from 2020. Um. So yeah, every every month in 2020, on average, I made at least a hundred dollars um, from just the Unity Asset Store. It's not including all the other websites like Unreal Game Dev Market, Roll Twenty, Drive Through RPG. Um, and uh, the highest month I made three hundred and twenty-eight dollars in uh, August for Unity. So in um, 2020. In 2020, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yes. So it's still you'll still have months where it will break multiple hundreds but what do you think that what do you think has contributed to the overall you know you said like when it came out it was 400 plus and then it sort of slowly tapered off over that so what do you think has contributed to that overall decline is it is there like a saturation in that market or something else
1: So it's weird. I don't think there's like a, there is, if you look at the market, when you look at the marketplace and you see all the different icons and stuff that are on there, there does seem to be a saturation, but people will still buy my icon pack, which I think does not look as good as some other ones because over years I've just grown as an artist. Um, But people will still buy mine because they prefer the look of mine or some of the icons that I offer in it versus like some of the other icon packs. Um, And so personal taste and flavor still comes into play as far as like why people are going to buy certain things on there. Um, But mostly it's exposure and it's growth as a developer on the marketplace. So generally the more things you're coming out with, the more different packs you're offering and the more people will then go consistently to you because you offer the same style throughout all of your packs. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I came out with my first pack of fantasy characters on Unity, as I expected, I didn't think it was going to do very well. I charged a lot of money for it um, for uh, in comparison to other packs. I think I charged $40 for 16 characters where there's other packs that are like $20 for 30 characters or something. Um, But I knew that no one else was doing high realism uh, fantasy characters on the marketplace. So I kind of dominated the market in that way. Um, And I'd sell one or two, you know, every every month or so for a little while, especially the first couple months. But then once I came out with the second pack, which offered 16 more characters, um, I was seeing sales of both suddenly because I had a second pack to go along with it. Now more people are like, OK, I can buy this first one because the second one came out that offers more stuff in the same style.
0: So with that in mind, do you think that there's still a place for you know an artist who might be interested in doing this kind of thing to put their work up and make some side income?
1: Oh, totally. Like, mm. I think it's such an untapped place still, even with all the people that do stuff on there. If you have like a decent idea um, and you get uh, really uh, the, the one other thing that I should mention is like, especially in the Unity Asset Store, it makes a big difference if you make sure that like it's seen immediately because they have this minimum bar thing of like, you need at least three five star reviews before it's listed as a five star product. And so if you don't get listed as a five star product, it just won't really show it when people go and like sort by highest rated uh, things. And so if you just have a couple friends that help you out, you offer some free products to people if they give you a five star review or something, um, then it pops up on the front and it's going to be on the front page for long enough for people to see it and be like, oh, that's a cool pack. I'm going to purchase that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, if you come up with a good idea and you see like, oh, there's, you know, someone hasn't done this art style of this type of product or something like that um like and it could just be based off of like pre-existing popular games you know you see like popularity in something like hades and see that like well no one's offering like a hades art style type ui uh asset pack or whatever so like i'll do something like that i'll charge this much no one else is doing it so you could charge a little bit more especially if it's high quality and then you know You just keep doing that, essentially, if you want to try and make some side money.
2: Another thing to keep in mind is a lot of people uh, will think about uh, their Steam library and how many games they have that they've never played.
0: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But something to consider is game developers, especially indies, will do the same thing with asset packs. They'll buy something just because they think one day they might want to use it. Yep, all the time.
0: Photoshop brushes.
2: (laughs) Yep, exactly. Same same. (laughs) thing. Don't worry too much about the market saturation. It's another one of those more cake situations. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Out of all of the people that I've seen have bought my fantasy characters on Unity and on DriveThruRPG, all that DriveThruRPG, I see it a bit more. But on Unity, I think I've only seen one, maybe two people use the assets in a game that I've seen, as far as I know. Because most people, if they make the game, they'll like send it to me and be like, thank you. like These look really great or whatever i it's only happened twice, <laughs> uh-huh. and so like a lot of these people will just buy it and they'll use it as placeholder art, or they'll you know it, like moose was saying, it's like oh, I'll use this eventually
0: and now your assets are, are fucking killer, like the characters are awesome looking and i'm i I'm, I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. that anybody cut corners, but that's a high bar to reach i mean is there there's right. there's, there's so there's still a uh some some room for mm-hmm. Uh, Find You know, a revenue stream if you're not because you not only are they awesome looking, but you also like have male and female of each. Right. And like, right. Yeah. It's this whole awesome series. So, I mean, if it's not quite that luxurious, there's there's still opportunities there.
1: Oh, yeah, you could totally do like You could find a simple, repeatable art style, you know, that doesn't take you a lot of time that you can do after hours once you're done with freelance or if you work a day job or something like I think you could definitely do it. It might take a little bit, you know, for you to get like a pack together um, because they do have a, a system that like cycles through things. So if you're charging money and they don't view your pack as like enough content, they might not accept it into the store. Um, but as long as you have at least a few assets for, you know, a reasonable price or something, then, then they'll see that and then put it up for you.
0: Do you, because do you, sorry, I yeah. missed one more question. Do you have any, do you do any like promo or marketing for that? Or do you just, is it just self-sufficient? It just goes on its own.
1: Um, it kind of just goes on its own. I think most of the time now when I come out, not that I've come out with one in a while, but if I were to release like new stock art. A lot of people follow me now for the stock art that I've done for drive-through RPG, especially. Um, and so I'll post that now and say like, hey, you know, I did this character. And then maybe the next day I'll say like, also this character is up on this website if you want to purchase it as stock art or something. Um, but otherwise, like, I don't, I don't know if I've ever really shared. I probably shared my icon packs early on with Unity, but it would have it just been me sending it to a bunch of artists. I don't know why artists would go, go and buy art for game development. <laughs> So.
2: so uh i don't think w- there's been a whole lot of uh resources available made online about how to make assets for a video game especially icons and th- things along those lines and uh, mm-hmm. what are some things that you learned along the way that would be valuable to somebody that was going to start doing this or consider start doing this
1: mm. i mean the simplest thing is just no uh what what's i don't even know the terminology for it it's not vertical slice it's uh it's basically the, the you do a nine slice of UI panels. And so things like dialog boxes that you see in games, generally what developers need is that they'll need uh, whatever that box would be in a perfect square, but cut into nine shapes. And what they do is in the program, whether it's Unity or, or uh, Unreal, they can stretch it out that way themselves. Um, so knowing small things about how to use Unity um or how to use unreal or what some people might need like it helps if you reach out to a developer and ask them like what do they look for when doing these also knowing like the general size uh everything works in multiples of i think it's like 12 or or 4 or something like that um and so you'll see most icon size the average one is like uh, it's like 256 or something like that um you're talking pixels uh, Pixels. Yeah, pixels. Uh, And so uh, I think most people like I work like 1024 pixels squared or whatever, um, for for the icon and that kind of works and shrinks into the size needed for most developers. Um, I don't know why unity works that way. It just does. But um, so yeah, just knowing like how the program actually functions and what would be most useful, being able to think a little bit like a game developer and like a game designer. Um, So thinking of things like, oh, if you hover over a button in a game, there needs to be some animation or some difference in that button to indicate that you're hovering. So having like a a base button hovering clicked inactive, like having all those things shows people that you're considering the developer's side of it um, and that they don't have to go through and then make, you know, those adjustments themselves.
0: Do you have that for each one of your icons that you have up? You have like a three, yes. three stages for, wow. You have a shit ton I think of I, icons. Oh, That's a it lot, was man.
1: so annoying. I remember like the <laughs> night before my wife actually helped me the night before I was like, I'm so close to finishing this. I just want it done. And she saw how hard I was working on it. And I think I had to like, I had to do some freelance or I had to go and do something. I can't remember what it was. Uh, But my wife was there and I showed her these like hotkeys that I developed on Photoshop and I was just like all you have to do is hit this and save it and hit this and save it and like just do that over and over again and she was like I'll do it because like I know how bad you want this pack to come out and so she saved a whole bunch of them and I also saved them in like three different file sizes so I had to save every single one in like these different states with different file sizes all labeled and named to try and make it as useful as possible for the developers so like Really trying to think of it as like, what would I want if I opened this pack of icons? Like, if someone's buying this, what exactly are they looking for? How do they want it organized? How would they want it to be used? Um, and trying to help people that way. So,
2: I know there's one guy that's pretty big on uh, the icon store. I don't remember his name. Rexard.
1: That's the is, guy. Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, he, he makes a ton of content or he outsources out to make a lot of content for this uh is there anything you can people can learn from him or them
1: yeah i'm I'm not sure i apparently they're a they're a studio now uh for as far as what they tell people um yeah i mean it's funny i i came out with my spell icon pack and then shortly afterwards like the next month they came out with one That, in my opinion, looked way better than mine. And I was like, oh, I'm fucked now. Like,
0: I'm so (laughs) screwed.
1: (laughs) Um, And I stopped making icons because I was like, I kind of want to get back to working towards working on magic or something. And they kept doing it. And now they have like 30 plus icon packs on this thing. They like Hmm. dominate this market. Um, the, The thing that they're doing very, very well is having a wide variety of icons. They're all in a very consistent style and then they branched out of icons and went and looked at i think what other mobile games have like looking at like the popular games at the time right so seeing something like slay the spire when slay the spire came out a lot of other games started developing as these like roguelike card games and so oh, Moose is
0: gone. oh it happens at least once every you <laughs> his discord bails him
1: no no um But yeah, so like following like the games that are popular and knowing that whenever there's a popular game that comes out, a lot of developers are then trying to make that game, but either they make an exact copy or they make it with slight tweaks and they try and get it out on the mobile game store or something or someone tries to make that game as like a student project or something uh, that's in school. And so um you know, for for a while, I was seeing a lot of artists would come out with uh, they came out with card layouts on the store, and so you'd, they'd have all these illustrated card layouts, and it would look very similar to, you know, your Hearthstone card layout or your uh, Slay the Spire or something like that. And um, I don't know how popular those are, but it's just it's just thinking about what what developers are wanting, you know, in the moment.
0: So another thing that you do a lot of is Gumroad tutorials i'm wondering is there a space or an interest for you to make a tutorial (laughs) about creating these things because you were just talking about all the things that it helps to know about i feel like yeah you could could teach people that
1: uh i i always have to deal with inner turmoil and guilt over whether or not i want to charge people for certain information or not (laughs) Um,
0: teach me first then charge (laughs) everybody else I'm I'll I'll, I I'll help you. YouTube. Yeah, I'll help you with your R&D for uh figuring that
1: out. Oh, there we go. Um but uh yeah, I would I would love to do something like that. I've been asked to do like an icon tutorial. I've been asked to do like yeah, just I thought about just making some videos on YouTube talking about all this passive income stuff I'm talking about with you guys cuz like I really do think it's stuff that goes under the radar. Like no one really considers, I mean, what it's the closest thing that artists have to an OnlyFans, guys. Like, come on, like get people to <laughs> sign up and buy your product. <laughs>
0: well, and some of us actually have OnlyFans as well. So exactly right. So, so have an so OnlyFans
1: that. and sell icons. Sounds
2: like a good idea. Uh, but you do have other Gumroad tutorials up. Uh, yeah. Do you have? Well, one question: Do you have uh, the tutorials anywhere else, and how they've been uh, performing for you?
1: Let me look at my numbers. Um yeah, I have the same tutorials on Gumroad, ArtStation and Cubebrush. Um I don't think I have them anywhere else. I don't know anywhere else that would host them. Um cuz I don't think Skillshare works that way. Um OnlyFans. OnlyFans. There we go. Um yeah, uh, Gumroad I think I- is a landslide victory as far as um how much i make off of that the most i made on gumroad in a, in a in a month in 2020 i should say um was 947 dollars um and that was i I'll think right i uh i think that's when i came out with my full tutorial series um if i'm not mistaken but uh otherwise the average for that is anywhere from 400 to 500 a month on gumroad um qbrush I don't really get anything from there. I might see like a sale here and there, which will be nice. Um, An art station, on average, I'd say probably about like a hundred, sometimes two hundred. That that one fluctuates a little bit more, I think. Um, but Gumroad does a really good job of uh, actually advertising it out to people that might be interested in in what I do.
2: So, was there uh, one tutorial that's been performing better than the other ones, or are is the pack as a uh, of the group of them doing the
1: best the pack is definitely doing the best yeah most people just buy the entire series of my beginners uh, guide series and um that seems to be the one that does the best i still get a lot of people that they'll buy like the the first episode i have available and i think they probably do that as like a like a test to see if they if they like it if they want to keep buying the rest um but in total my sales is like, I've had 294 sales of the full series. Um, And the second, second to that is the first episode or episode two uh, where I talk about anatomy and that's 161 sales. So it's outperforming by 130 sales and it came out like months and months later.
2: If you had to estimate uh, how many hours you put into working on them, and compare that to the total amount you've made from it what would the dollars per hour be approximately
1: oh god i don't know i mean literally (laughs) hundreds of hours it took so long to do those um not only writing the scripts but um which like i think the longest script was like 27 pages (laughs) or something like that uh but then i had to do i decided like if i wanted it i needed to have like visuals go i didn't want to just have like a recording of me doing stuff um, because I felt like that would have been just more annoying to sync. So instead I just did like small illustrated panels or panels showing like what I was talking about. And so most of the videos had like a hundred to 200 panels or something like that, that I had to have like as unique images. And I was lucky. Sometimes I got to repeat the same one. Um, But I really don't know how much it would have. I don't like to think about it. (laughs) If it would have been worth it or not. I mean, so far, i mean i'm looking at like the numbers i made from the full series uh in total i've made five thousand eight hundred and eighty dollars um just off of gumroad sales um and so like even if it doesn't add up to you know too much i feel like that's got to be at least above minimum wage at this point (laughs) with the amount of hours that i invested into it it's probably made up at this point um the time that I invested into it. And now anything beyond that is probably going to just be extra.
0: And how long like have they been up? up. Sir?
1: Um, God, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how long they've been up. Um, I think the, I think I put the full series up last year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see here.
0: And, Just like, yeah, yeah, while you're looking at it, I I think it's worth noting that I struggle with this myself. The daunting task of all of the work, you know, taking on all of the work feels Mm -hmm. like a lot when you're, you know, on the beginning side of it. And then it's like, Mm -hmm. oh God, you want to do all that work and it's Mm -hmm. not going to pay that much. But then in the long term, that's like kind of the thing that everybody has to keep in mind is that there's a long term to it and it's going to keep returning dividends for you. So yes, you know, like 100 hours working on something that sounds like a lot, but then how long is it going to be in play sending you return? And I never thought that it would
1: add up to this much for sure i i did this and by the way i saw it uh i finished the series on it looks like december 3rd possibly like january 12th is when i modified this file so i think that's probably and that was of 2019 Mm -hmm. um so um yeah it's been about a year um i i did it because i had told people for i think two years at that point that i thought about doing it doing like my own version of like a tutorial or a, a fundamentals series because I hadn't seen anyone um that had done like a really like consistent one um that broke everything down and had a whole series that like ties into itself um i'd seen like a couple on youtube but i didn't like some of the ways that things were being talked about or taught and stuff and um and so i did it because people kept reminding me that i said it and so it was like i if i like if I want this guilt off my shoulders, I need to just come out with this series, I guess, because <laughs> I promised so many people that I'd work on it. Um and sure enough, it felt great finishing it, but yeah, it was it was a lot.
2: But you're also a bit more of a perfectionist with this content than most people that release tutorials, where you were putting a whole lot more effort into the pre-processing of the of uh, of the tutorial then like a lot of people would just like do flow of conscience and then edit it afterwards. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about like FCD or for example.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that I was going to charge people money. Um, so I really wanted to make sure that I didn't sound like an idiot. (laughs) Um, and I wanted to make sure that, uh, everything I was going to say was hopefully uh, that, that someone couldn't interpret it as an absolute truth like i made i i tried to do my best especially in the first episode that i tell everyone to go and watch on youtube before buying the series that like everything i talk about in the series is how to improve fundamentals but it's not necessarily saying like if you want a solid career in art or if you want to be like a quote unquote better artist that like you need to perfect all of these things it's always like a means to an end, right? If you want your art style to be realism, then like, yeah, you probably need to learn value and anatomy and all this kind of stuff. But um, it's not, I can't promise that it's going to make like, it's not that it's not going to make you a better artist or that if you learn these things that suddenly, you know, you're going to feel fulfilled in the art that you're trying to do yourself. Um, And so I really, I wanted to make sure that the, the script that I was writing had all that there was huge chunks that I wrote and then just cut because I was like, I, I'm talking out of my ass in this whole section. Um, and it's not like a consistent truth or it's a bias or something that I've drawn. Um, and I had to just cut it and like kind of rethink what do I really think a beginner needs to know? Or what do I really think about this subject matter and how, how should it be taught? Um, so, but that being said, I don't feel like I'm a perfectionist about it. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that like the beginning was all laid out and stuff. But then when I started churning out those images, I was just like, fucking get this shit out of here. Like, I gotta Well, that in care. itself,
0: though, just... is a bit of a perfectionist streak because, I mean, you basically, you wrote yourself a script and then you wrote yourself a storyboard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, I guess. I suppose.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's next level, dude. Yes, yeah, I don't think th- I off. just...
1: Uh, yeah I just think I guess I just thought like this is what I have to do for this series but then doing it in doing it I feel like I didn't do it to like the greatest extent you know most of the uh, there were a couple there were a couple like slides that I ended up having to spend like 30 minutes on one slide that was going to show up for like 10 seconds or something because I just knew like this is the proper way of showcasing like what I'm trying to show here and then there were other slides where I was just like, I don't want to do this. And so I just <laughs> wouldn't, I wouldn't have anything there. And instead I just try and do something to like briefly explain or briefly show what I was talking about.
0: Yeah. Well, I, th- right. and I, th- and I think that it's, you know, good that you say that. Cause it's something that does get left out some of the time, you know, like when people are talking about the fundamentals and, and learning to be a better artist, it's, uh, critical that people have fun while they're doing that you know mm-hmm. and the fundamentals aren't always fun you know like practicing arpeggios and scales and stuff isn't necessarily like a fun thing to be doing unless you're just like really into that sort of thing mm-hmm. um so yeah you know draw your like lions and tigers and bears and robots and dragons and stuff like while you're doing that as well you know and like right don't be like locked into this like oh i have to do this like this way or whatever. find right. what makes you happy when you're making art and do that. And it's reciprocal too. Yeah, definitely.
1: I agree with all that.
2: So before we move on to uh the next stage of uh where you are now, uh let's tie this up. Do you have any like looking back on your uh your passive income schemes, for lack of a better mm-hmm. term, uh which of these would you not do again? Which ones would you absolutely Put either more effort into or absolutely do again?
1: Hmm. The icons don't pay as well as the characters do, but the characters took way, way longer than the icons. Um, I would do an icon pack in, like I said, like a month in my spare time, but the characters took me like a year um, in total in my spare time. Um, and the icons don't have as great of a return, whereas the characters are more repeatable. Um, but really, I think, I mean, tutorials do the best but it's weird because i i don't want to recommend people do tutorials um if you're not ready to tutorialize your thoughts i don't know like it's i've seen a lot of people when i was working on mine i went and i looked through all these youtube tutorials because i didn't want to just repeat something that someone expressed really well in like a free video i wanted to make sure like if i saw some free information that i'm like okay I need to. I need to elaborate on this, or I need to show like this other side of this, or I need to, uh, maybe ex, maybe just do what I did for the anatomy tutorial, where I said like, look, I'm not the best one to teach this right now. There's a way better video on Proko's YouTube channel. Like, go watch that, and then I'll use that video that hopefully you watched to elaborate on. Um, but there was a lot of uh a lot of bad tutorials out there that that artists <laughs> made unfortunately like and i not i, I won't use names and i don't want to shit on any artists but it is unfortunate that like i think when you get into the mindset of being like a youtuber artist um and you feel like you need to develop content i think at some point if you're not careful you'll end up saying something that you really you don't know that much about and you'll end up teaching it in a very, you know, charismatic way, in a confident way because you want to sound charismatic and confident and people to watch your videos. But there's so many videos that I watch where I'm like, you're full of shit. This isn't how you do this at all. This doesn't this this doesn't make sense. Um, and it, and so I don't want to like recommend that to people as like, oh yeah, make income like this early on. I do think you could go ahead and develop skills to make a pack of assets or something um for the asset store as long as you're like careful and you really work on your craft and make sure you get this thing to look this certain way but um to teach something i feel like you really need to be careful about how you teach something you don't want to teach something in a poor way and then have it on the internet forever where people can just say like no this isn't how you do this at all and you're dumb
2: (laughs) but there are people like uh, ali briggs out there who has a background in education that would be Mm -hmm. A natural fit to combine the two and oh, the totally. question is whether or not it's worth it at that point at this point to make that content to put it out there on a gumroad or a skillshare or what have you
1: if you yeah if you have good um i don't even think i have good teaching abilities um but i'd say like if you if you have something to teach um or you can talk a lot like me like then yeah i recommend if you know something try your best to teach it and Um, I don't know. Try not to feel like I feel and guilty for charging money for it. I guess I don't know.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, definitely don't. You know, feel too bad about it. Like the I hear often, you know. Well, what 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 do I have to offer, you know, or whatever? But there's never enough ways to hear the same thing. Well, maybe that's not entirely true, but it can often take multiple times of hearing the same thing before Uh it finally sinks in. Like the fifth time that you hear it from somebody, you know, or the the fifth person that you hear it from is the one that makes it click for you. Like whether it's the way that they described it or it just took that many times or whatever, you know, like they, there, there's always like a new, a new slightly new spin that you can put into it. And also the way that you teach might appeal to a whole different range of people than the way that like somebody else has taught it before. And just the right. act of trying to teach it to other people will like solidify it and, and gel it for yourself in, in ways that may you never have been accessible to you had you not.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely true. And I mean, I think, uh, I think somewhat along the same kind of thinking as you were saying, Moose, earlier about like when you go on Steam and you see all these Steam games that you'll just kind of buy because like you think you might use it at some point. The funny thing is when I think about that stuff, There's so many, sorry for using this as an analogy, but hopefully my point will get across. There's so many games on Steam that people don't know exist that are out there. And then they'll tell their friends about it and think everyone knows about it because their circle of friends know about it. And they're like, I've never heard of this game and no one plays it. When actually like a lot of players play and they have no idea. And I feel like that can happen with everything. It can happen with art education. You know, there's so many people that teach art um, that no one knows about and are probably great teachers, but, you know, maybe they just they don't market their stuff all that much. They're not as widely known or whatever, but they're still really, really good teachers and probably make a decent living off of just teaching art. Um, And so, yeah, there's there's a lot of artists that I know are like insanely good and are still sheepish about uh, teaching what what they know, because you know, it, it's the hard thing with art is you're constantly having to kind of humble yourself and be like, oh, there's so much I don't know. So, like, why would I turn around and, like, teach these people that are climbing the same mountain as me? Because I still have to learn all these other things.
0: Uh, speaking of that, that marketing aspect of it, uh, we touched on it a little bit before since you mentioned it again. What are some of the to the degree that you do any marketing <laughs> for your products? Uh, <laughs> where are some places that you like to do it? and how do you like to do it oh man i put so little
1: effort into
0: (laughs) (laughs) which is actually like why i wanted to ask you that question because the low effort is sometimes you know the one that you want to really hear about
1: (laughs) yeah the uh the stuff the, the most effort i think i put into like marketing myself at any point is i think i was trying to get on board the like instagram algorithm um to market myself when i came out with uh like my latest pack of characters that was i think that was like a year ago or something because after a year of working on them i had so many things that i could post consecutively cuz i had 16 characters on top of the 16 characters before that as well as sketches and all that kind of stuff and so like having all this content to post i was like okay great i could do this consistently and gain some sort of traction and stuff um but otherwise it's just posting randomly inconsistently on twitter and facebook and ArtStation, and it's very hit or miss you know especially on twitter it's like you just get one lucky retweet from someone with a larger following and suddenly it's like boom great now people suddenly know about my art that's amazing <laughs> um but uh i i mean especially with youtube i think i just lucked into without knowing anything about youtube seo I think I just lucked into um, whatever their algorithm is as far as my art tutorial goes. Because uh, I've had a few other YouTube videos on there, but they haven't done nearly as well as as the beginner's guide one. I think the last I checked, it was like 100,000 views or something like that. And I mean,
0: how how to draw is i think one right. of the number one of the number one most searched youtube terms right um, so that makes sense if you're if you're making tut- beginner tutorials based on that kind of thing it's, uh, it's setting you up in the right place right. it's always
2: crazy to me like how much effort people someone will make uh, put into making a product and then how little effort they'll spend actually telling people about it
1: mhm i mean i'm one of those people <laughs> I I think every now and then probably like once every few months, you know, I might have one post. And it's just because like, I end up looking back at my numbers. And I'm like, holy shit, why do people still buy my stuff? This is insane. And so I'm just very thankful. And so I'll tell people, you know, like, thank you so much for doing this. And I think a lot of people then are like, Oh, I had no idea that you had this whole tutorial series. And I've been following you for like a year or something like that. And that's how I know I don't market it a lot I'm not great at doing that is people that follow my work consistently don't know that I have you know other things that they could purchase to support me or to learn like how I think and feel about art
0: what what like if there's a pie chart what percentage is lack of interest lack of motivation and then just like lack of confidence that it would do anything beneficial anyway um
1: hmm I tend to be very self-deprecating and so I feel like I I just worry that I come across as too like too needy if I end up marketing my stuff out to people in a way right like I'm so worried yeah like it it's so dumb cuz i don't even know like the worst case scenario is what like i would tweet something and someone some random person on twitter would be like you douche quit posting about your stuff <laughs> and i'll go all right <laughs> like thank you <laughs> <laughs> like it's not even that bad of consequences but it's just something that i guess i concern uh, myself with that and i think i just i'm i usually keep a momentum going on like all these different projects that i like to kind of keep messing around with and so it's easy for me to forget about all these things that I've worked on in the past that are still like up and running and consistently, you know, making money or consistently having people that like want to see more of it. You know, people that want more tutorials or more stock art or whatever. And I'm like, I, I'm working on something totally different. I'm sorry. Like, I don't know.
2: And now for something completely different, uh, we're going to move on to what you, uh, are doing now. Not what you're intended to do in the future, but what you're doing now with Wild Blue. Ah. But immediately prior to that, what was your uh, your career right before you started working with Wild Blue? Like, what kind of uh, I don't know day rate or how much money you were making per year or whatever you're comfortable saying? Like, what work were you doing?
1: Um, I think the that year I ended up making about eighty six thousand for. on, I think that's about what I made, and I was making. I was working a lot with Smite. Um, they were at the time paying me about two thousand per illustration, um, and on average, I'd get to do one, maybe two of those a month uh, if I was lucky. Um, and then I was consistently working with uh, the team working on the game Pantheon. Uh, it's an indie MMO in development, and they we had this weird deal where basically, like. I do what I can do for them in a month and they'll pay me $2000 a month. And I think it was sort of like as long as I do this minimum of like design two creatures or two like of this race for them or whatever then then we're good and do orthographics and stuff for it. Um so Smite, Pantheon and then whoever I could pick up as a third client. So usually it was uh, around that time it was like doing a magic card or two um or you know doing Random illustration for some client here or there or whatever, um, so my average was like around six thousand a month, I think at the time.
0: did those clients approach you or did you seek them out?
1: Uh, smite luckily, I had worked with uh, at that point that was it was two and a half years that I worked with them before I ended up uh, stopping so that I could work full time with Wild blue. Um, I approached smite with the help of uh my friend andy uh andy tim who's a really good artist he works in-house at high res um and i had met him years earlier before working there and we just periodically kept in touch and you know would ask how how things are going with each other and um it was when i was still living with my parents that i mentioned like look i'm you know i'm trying to move out and like i feel like i can't and like i feel like i'm good enough to work for these clients but i can't seem to get any of them and he had kind of thrown my name out there and I did sort of this unofficial art test. Like the art director at the time was like, I don't think he's good enough. And then I was like, I'll show you. And so then I did like (laughs) some fan art of some of their like top characters and posted it on their Reddit. Um, and the Reddit score got like high or whatever. And I was telling everyone like, I'm trying to work for these people. Mm. Ah." (laughs) Like, (laughs) uh, right after that, I think, uh, then uh, my friend showed the art director uh, again and he was like all right fine he can work with us but only when we have like a slot available next um and a slot didn't open up for like eight months but after that i i got offered uh to start working with them and that lasted two and a half years and um there they started me off at 800 and illustration but they were an amazing client as far as like i really do think that they kind of respected artists and the time and the money invested and that like every six months or so they would always kind of have this like pay bump and so it went from like 800 to 1200 to 1600 to 2000 and i if i were to guess they probably pay even more now and so uh they were a really good client to work with uh for a long time but out of all of them they were the only clients that i um that i had to go to i think i technically i did apply for magic as well um I, I just sent like a submission thing in for them. Um, and that was a whole process too. trying to get their attention and trying to be like, look at me, I want to do cards. So but, you were juggling three clients. Uh, h- about how many
2: hours per week were you working?
1: Um, I don't know. It wasn't horrible. It was just inconsistent. Um, so like some days I felt like I had to work eight hours. Some days I was only working four. Um, on client work. And it kind of depended uh, de- on, I guess, like what stage of of uh, project I was on at the time. And like, a lot of the times with freelance, especially, it felt like I had the two consistent clients, and then the third client that I had to keep going. But then I had to make sure that whatever was coming the next month was going to be covered. So I kind of had to have this like, overlap period where i had to bring on a fourth client as i'm wrapping up my third client and so then once my third client's done then my time opens up where my fourth client kind of becomes that that third inconsistent uh income that i'm that i'm bringing in um and so uh yeah it was it wasn't terrible Uh, uh before that you know, like beginning of full time freelance, yeah, I was working like twelve twelve hour days, literally fourteen hour days, and it was horrible. um, but once I got bigger paying clients, then suddenly it was like, okay, I get paid twice as much for an illustration that takes me like slightly longer, but not double the time, so that opens up some of my time some more, and um enough of those growth periods, enough of those changes and clients being brought on, and it kind of opened my time up where. I could actually relax a little bit, <laughs> not not feel like I have to work all the time.
2: At what point did you uh fulfill your promise to your mom of actually working full time and being able to be self-sufficient?
1: <laughs> uh 20 uh, halfway through 2016 is uh when when I finally uh went full time uh and and got to move out and it happened like instantly. Like it happened like I'd been working 3 years to get to that point and then suddenly it was like just like that and I was we were Off Me and my now wife, but she was my girlfriend at the time, uh, uh, we, we moved out in like, I think we signed the papers for the apartment and we were supposed to move out three months from them. And I was like, okay, great. Now I can save up all this money from the freelance I'm getting. And then the apartment called and they were like, actually, you can move in two months sooner or something like that. It was something crazy because the person left. And so suddenly I was like, all right, we're moving in and we have no savings. <laughs> this is totally fine for a freelancer. There's nothing to worry about.
2: <laughs> what kind of clients were those early on ones that just the, the one tick up from not being able to do do it yourself?
1: I just started working with Pathfinder the months before that. Um, really? And Pathfinder. Yeah. Uh, which still didn't pay great. Uh, but uh, the first assignment i did with them i think went really well because then they trusted me with doing a much bigger assignment and gave me a lot more um and uh, it was pathfinder and then i was doing some like small commission work here and there whatever i could get really um just before you know moving out because i knew at that point it was going to happen um but there was this huge panic mode where like I, I saw this gap like two weeks away where I was just like, okay, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to fill this time and we won't be able to, you know, pay our rent or whatever. And luckily, you know, uh, I knew enough artists that I could ask some friends and be like, Do you know anyone? And they're like, Yeah, totally here. Just like <laughs> I'll send your name over to these people and they'll they'll be able to bring you on for something. So Where did you um, get
2: these connections?
1: Um most of the time it was just people i reached out to online um my friend brandon that i mentioned earlier uh, i talked to him when i was like 17 and i just saw it randomly on facebook we had mutual friends and i saw that uh, it said he was a freelance artist and i was like i had no idea there were artists in my area this is crazy and so just spontaneously like messaged him and was like i want to be an artist too and and sure enough he was like cool great like (laughs) that's nice and uh we just kept talking and he helped me out and um uh, he's how i got to work at super genius he introduced me to liquid productions which they were the client that saved my ass when i was really running low on money um and so uh yeah uh it's just people i reached out to online uh met a couple people at a, a, a workshop back in 2013 i think but most of it's just been online connections
2: so can, that's the moral of the story reach out to people right
1: who and we don't be afraid to
0: know can we talk yeah. a, a little bit about wild blue um moose mm-hmm. mentioned it uh briefly leading into this section um but i would like to know a little bit more about it and i think other people might be curious too about its setup because it's not a a studio in the traditional sense they actually help you find work but it's not like it's not like an agent how does it how does it work can you break that down so
1: i think it, it's more traditional than i think people uh think that it is i mean the the not traditional part is that we're a cooperative and so that gets into like the business structure of the studio so we're all technically worker owners so we mm-hmm. all share like a a section of the studio essentially but otherwise like it really does act just like an outsourced studio does and that people either will reach out to clients or clients will reach out to us and say hey we suddenly need 3 5 artists sometimes just one artist to hop on and you know do these characters or these icons or these illustrations and um and uh, we negotiate some rates uh and then we do the the work and stuff for it so um it's uh, actually how most most of my clients that i worked with leading up to them were also outsourced studios so it it felt very normal like transitioning into that i suppose but,
0: but they find you, go ahead Moose. no go ahead
2: i was gonna say how did you get into wild blue like how did you how'd that story go
0: um
1: yeah i uh it was kind of around the time I was still doing work for Magic and Smite and stuff and kind of juggling those clients. And I'm part of a Magic artist discord that I was invited to, where it's just a bunch of Magic artists and we share work in progress uh, shots of Magic cards and stuff like that. And uh, Mitch Malloy, he's uh, one of the guys that runs the studio. He um, uh, asked if anyone wanted to do some like client work, uh I don't know if he specified at the time that it was riot he was just like anyone want to do some work like last minute pays really well or whatever and i immediately was like sure i don't know what it is but why not like let's let's do something um and uh sure enough it was this big like riot illustration it was basically it was like a like kind of like storyboard key art for the legends of Runeterra cinematic um and it paid so well that i basically was like okay I want to keep working with them, uh and so I have to do like my absolute best on this thing to show I'm a worthwhile asset uh to keep on and I did well enough that right afterwards they started sending me uh the the studio was being hired by riot to do um there was like these story illustrations that they'd post on riot's website um they come out with these kind of random character stories or character moments, and they like having an illustration to showcase for those stories and so we were doing the illustrations for those for a while and uh uh, after working with them long enough as just a freelancer they they'd talked to me early on about coming on full-time once they were ready to bring someone on but they liked like my illustration work and liked that i was punctual and easy to work with and stuff so
0: so yeah This, this is wild blue you mean not not riot
1: right yes this is wild Bloom. yeah yeah most of the work that we do is through riot uh but yeah uh, did you have an oh
0: shit moment when you found out that this was going to be for riot because you didn't know that going in and then you're like oh fuck (laughs) yeah I just got real
1: excited yeah i was very (laughs) very excited but i was also really nervous because i didn't know like what it was like the only riot work i really knew at the time was you know splash illustration you know, or or character design, and I figured like it's it's probably not that, but I don't know what else it could be. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it shit definitely got real. It got more real when I saw how much money I was going to make from it. But because mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> as much as I liked Riot, you know, I I still I I generally still was under the impression of like, well, I worked you know for Magic. All I care about now is working for Blizzard. So like, Riot's cool, you know, but like, I don't play League <laughs> of Legends. So I don't know. I don't have any like emotional attachment to it
0: that's a that's a great statement.
1: Well right <laughs>
0: right well, yeah, all right that'll, yeah, <laughs> that'll do what uh what was the appeal to you for going to work for a studio as opposed to just keeping on with the freelance?
1: Right. um so i was uh it actually connects to the fact I was offered. Well, I guess I wasn't offered, but I uh, attempted to get a position in house with Blizzard on the Hearthstone team. And uh, it didn't, it kind of fell through and it didn't end up happening, but I was still freelancing with Wild Blue at the time. And I had told them, I had mentioned, like, oh, yeah, you know, I was up for this position and it didn't work out. And um, ended up kind of talking to, to Mitch, the guy that helped run the studio. And, um, you know he had i think at that point he had mentioned me coming on at some point uh but i i kind of just had to get myself in the mindset of like beyond working for blizzard which you know being flown down there and considered for a position i figured like that's pretty close to working for them so sure um and working for magic i knew ultimately like everything else is financial right if i work for someone there's very little clients now that I see and I'm like, oh, I need to work with them. Like, I need to do some portfolio pieces to try and attract this client because I've always wanted to work for them. Um, that feeling's like dissipated for me um, since, since getting to work with, with those clients. And so I just needed a system that could better fit what I was looking for, for my personal projects. Um, and freelance wasn't that system um at the time at least uh can you clarify
0: that a little what do you mean by that
1: um so freelance it's like i was saying is that when whenever i was freelancing and most freelancers i know they always kind of have to have that buffer that like overlap of of jobs Mm -hmm. and so it's it's that amount of time and then the inconsistency as far as income goes as far as time worked um, you don't have quite as good of protections because you don't have a producer that's able to negotiate and you know push back on a client and stuff and get away with that. Um, uh, and you have to handle all client communications. And so uh, for me, I was like, okay, if I can get handed consistent work and I know like, okay, I'm going to make this much per month and the work is going to come to me, um, then I can kind of take a step back, know like this is my working hours. And now these are going to be the hours that I work on personal projects or whatever. Um, so just trying to have a better disconnect between that so that I wasn't going crazy being like, oh, my God, I haven't worked on a personal project in, in a week, you know, or two weeks and it's driving me nuts like um, that feeling just ate away at me for a long time. Um, so I had to find some sort of a better system to handle that. Got it. Okay
0: what's the comparison in uh in income now do you feel like uh it's um, uh, keeping you as comfortable as freelancing
1: so it's weird i uh, um i believe if i freelance now i would make more as a freelancer technically um but the consistency is still the issue um so with with wild blue i think uh my minimum is six thousand and if i work over hours i end up making anywhere beyond six thousand in a month um and that's working six hour days five days a week um but uh with freelance it's like i just did i did like a league splash art a, a couple months back and that paid me like five thousand dollars or something for one illustration and like it's an illustration that requires a lot of hours. But I feel like if I did, you know, that illustration plus, you know, a couple things on the side, well, that's technically more than six thousand uh a month, you know, anywhere from seven to nine thousand, somewhere in that range. Um, but the the difference is that now with the current structure of Wild Blue that we're integrating this year is we're starting to now have paid vacation time, uh, paid time off. We're getting uh, health insurance or slight health coverage. Um, And so now things are actually starting to feel a little bit more like a real studio and having, (laughs) having actual benefits. And so like, you know, I just took the last uh, week, week and a half off, I think. um, And it was all paid for by the studio and stuff. And so like having stuff like that, it's kind of, you weigh, you know, the, the benefits and drawbacks, right? I can still take on some freelance if I want to spend my spare time doing that after work hours if I need to make a little extra money because you know we want to save to go on a trip or something like that um but otherwise they they keep us fed, they keep everything you know going and fine as long as I keep up the consistency of of the work with them
2: so at what level do you would somebody be uh considered able to join you guys? What skill sets are you guys looking for?
1: hmm that's a good question it kind of differs um it it helps to be a little bit of a of a generalist otherwise we can only use you for very certain things um so there's artists that we've hired that oh excuse me uh we we've would only ever hire probably for illustration work and it's just because they don't show as promising of concept skills or they just don't show concepting skills in their portfolio at all um but most of the time, the entry level artists that we're considering, um, we're actually looking for artists that handle game assets more, um, so icons, UI design, uh, just stuff like that, um, because that is, I'd say, like lowest, lowest entry level bar to try and consider and get into, and it's also what most of the higher up artists have some experience in doing. So we're able to help kind of mentor those artists and build them up from there. Um but uh yeah, it's uh we just started this new program. Um I don't know if it's official or if we're starting it in the next year, but it's uh basically like an apprenticeship type program in that like if there's an artist that we feel like is really promising and we have an extra influx of work that we're able to kind of hand them off or have them like work on, um, then we'll be able to train them up over a six month period. We will pay them very Good, good wages, but it's basically a paid mentorship um but only because we are investing in the promise of like what you could become as an artist um, but uh yeah, I think uh it's mainly just a lot of self growth self growth and development um in in your portfolio too. If we see like a lot of quick growth in your portfolio, it shows like, oh, okay, you're learning a lot of this stuff quickly, you're picking up on fundamentals really well. And you're wanting to, you know, do some of the high-end work that we do, like illustrations for Riot or something.
2: So a lot of places right now aren't even hiring because of uh, COVID, but remote work is something that artists can do. And Mm -hmm. especially with game asset stuff, where uh, games are still strongly in development, because that's what's getting people through the pandemic, that sales are still sky high for uh, digital stuff. Mm -hmm. So is Wild Blue's and uh other game companies still hiring or is this all on freeze for you guys too
1: i can't speak for other game companies i don't know quite as much um but uh for wild blue it's fine we had a bit of a lull in the first month of covid because a lot of studios um had to they had to figure out how to transition right they had to bring all their full-time in-house employees have them be home and then find out like how are we still supposed to work on these games while being separate and so once they kind of got this quick system figured out and they adapted um that was about a month maybe two months or so of transition period and then things were pretty much back to normal um yeah we we haven't really seen much of a lull uh beyond that um and if anything like we've grown as far as the work that we've been getting we got a lot of work in the last like three months where it was just nonstop, like coming at us um it helps that end of the year there's usually a bit of a rush a lot of a lot of clients want to send out as much work at the end of the year as possible um i think for tax purposes but uh yeah so it hasn't it hasn't been too bad
2: so we have a question here about uh if uh working at Wellblue was different from what you expected but, but you said, mentioned earlier that you had been doing uh work for outsourcing studios previously so hmm. probably wouldn't be but Back when you were starting to do uh work for outsource Studios for the first time, was there anything different than what you had expected prior to working with that relationship? mm
1: uh yeah, I guess I didn't expect the looseness of it um like I remember when I first went in for i i call it an interview for super Genius Studios, but it was such a not interview that like it basically was uh I showed up. I was sweating like crazy because I was so nervous, um but I also was still like coming out of my teens and rebellious. So I came with like, like ripped jeans and like a Wolverine t-shirt. And in the back of my brain, I was like, if they can't handle that, I dress like this, and like I don't want the job anyway, which is the stupidest thing in the world for me to think. um Because, because I somebody sew... probably saw
0: your shirt and was like, "You're hired."
1: <laughs> right, right. I know. Right. I'm shooting myself in the foot. Really. I mean, <laughs> oh no, Moose is gone again. <laughs> But um but uh, yeah I mean the the interview if I could call it that was they they took me out for coffee uh and uh looked at my portfolio on their phones or something like that um I made some joke about tripping a kid at a laser tag place that they laughed at and I was like okay great I'm in like <laughs> And and after that, like working at the studio and stuff like it was so weird, some of the conversations I'd hear. And it's not what I considered at all as far as like a job goes. Um, And part of me felt guilty almost because like I had friends that had like real jobs and I never really had a, you know, a real life, real human being job before. (laughs) And I went from not having one to going to this place. And they're talking to me about like, we got free ice cream in the freezer. You know, we try to keep it stocked. You can do that. You could take your, you know, an hour long break or whatever, that's fine. Uh if you want to take a bit longer, just let us know. Um I and like the greatest thing is I think I heard one of one of our producers at some point uh talking to someone new that was coming into the studio and he was just like you, you know, we want you to work 8 hours, but really if you get 6 hours of work done, like that's all we're really looking for here and I was just like the fuck? <laughs> like <laughs> I didn't know this. <laughs> and so it was just it was uh, different as far as like the looseness of everything goes, and like the things that we could talk about, um, and and joke around about and stuff. It helped we didn't have an HR department at the time, but because uh, if we did, we would not have gotten away with some of the conversations that we had. But uh, it it was great. It was it was a very enjoyable experience.
2: <laughs> so right now, are you guys uh, still working like six hour days or? less
1: um for the last like i think probably two months is when this started um i i've been working most days at eight to nine hours um at which has been killing me uh and some of the other artists also have been working really long hours especially when it gets near the end of a deadline there was long days that a lot of the team like kind of had to work on the same image together or something like that to get it across the finish line um but the the idea is hopefully with the new year there's kind of a clean slate um coming in uh and so hopefully we won't be trying to you know tread water the whole the whole time and feel like we're sinking or drowning <clears throat> but yeah uh, yeah the goal is to keep it consistent at, at six hours a day so
2: the game industry is kind of notorious for having crunch periods does that overflow into you guys at all or are you guys uh protected from that then? with uh your contract relationship
1: so i don't have a lot of in-house experience um and i'm not sure exactly i can't speak for like how crunch develops in that environment um outsource studios are i think i think they're uh, they were created probably from crunch it's like if a studio is reaching crunch then they're like, "Oh, well, shit, let's hire out these five people off here, and let's have them do these things because we just don't have enough time to have all of our in-house guys do this. Um, and so I think we're kind of the relief from Crunch in a way, uh, but also because of that, Crunch then can encroach in our space in that, yeah, we've had clients that are literally like, "Hey, we need this done." I think it was like sometime last year we had to do this big project and we got paid like two or three times as much as we normally do and it was just like we need this done in seven days over christmas break (laughs) uh and we need it like as soon as possible and all of us were just like okay all right sure um and uh and that's just Sometimes that happens, you know with our current studio structure, we 're trying not to have stuff like that happen and encroach on our on our vacation times and whatnot, but uh, it, I feel like like there's nothing you can really do if a production pipeline has something slated to come out on this particular date, right if there's a thing that's like, okay, you know this new development in a game or new update for a game is going to have this new character, and this new character needs a character illustration and a character cinematic. And suddenly you've got cinematics department, character designers, illustrators, marketing teams, and production. That's all trying to coordinate and push all these things to this deadline. And if one of them goes under the radar, which in this instance, it was like cinematics that went under the radar, then suddenly it's like, well, someone has to pick up the slack because it's like, we have to get this cinematic out. Like we can't suddenly not have this thing come out. Um, and so it it's tough. It's It's juggling a lot of things, you know.
0: So one thing that you mentioned um, was uh, the more stable platform that a reliable studio can offer that will give you the space and time to work on personal projects. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but even at a more mellow six-hour day, uh, that, that seems like that could put a pinch on the time that you would have for personal projects. How, does that, how do you work in time for that?
1: Uh, I work very fast. That's, uh, <laughs> that is, that's my goal. is uh, if, uh, if I work uh, as quickly as possible, then you know hopefully I can kind of get through my hours, get through the stuff that needs to get done, um, and then fit in stuff for my own time. You know, it's, it's also the trade-off of not being freelance is that when you're freelance, you know you can decide and make the decision for yourself of like, okay, I'm not going to do client work this day. I'll make up for it tomorrow but today i'm only going to work on personal project stuff um and you don't quite have that flexibility and that freedom when you're in the the more structured uh stage of it all um and so it, it it's hard to say i feel like it's no matter what it's like a give and take and it's personal preference um so it it was it's especially it was very hard for me to get over that hurdle though of not having the freedom of making that decision of like well i want to work on this stuff right now so why can't I just do that um because I worked freelance for so long um but uh yeah it's it's you know it's people's preferences and what they what they end up wanting um personally right now I like the structure um but yeah
2: is there anything else that you would like to uh wrap up this with like things that you would like, like to say about working in the studio or th- think people should know about working in the studio
1: um yeah i mean i just feel like the stuff that it gets mentioned a fair amount of times but i don't know who hasn't heard it yet it's just that um it's not ever the biggest stuff that you see um most people think of studio work as like oh riot is splash illustrations and magic is magic card illustrations and um or it's the characters that are designed and stuff and no one just looks at like a game when they open it up and think to themselves like literally every single thing on this opening menu had to be created by an artist like everything from the the font sure the ui layout the buttons themselves you know uh every icon like everything had to be created by somebody um and that's a very legitimate job that pays very well uh that not a lot of people really shoot for um and uh most of the time, you know, you can go from there upwards in a studio and and shoot for that higher up work, like illustration or concept art, if you're interested in that. Um, but most people, especially like illustrators I see now, when I was coming up, most illustrators I feel like were always shooting for magic cards. And now I see illustrators sh- shooting for Smite uh, or, or League of Legends illustrations and stuff. And that seems to be like the big thing a lot of people want to do. Um but they're missing all of this other potential that's behind there. It's not like they can't still work on those things, you know, um, and eventually get those jobs. But um, you're missing all these other opportunities if you've got tunnel vision on this one goal in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so that that's all.
0: That's something that comes up a lot on this show, actually, is that, like, it like it's it's cool to like want to reach that peak, but you might miss a lot of other kind of like smaller sub-peaks <laughs> along mm-hmm. the way that can be just as rewarding, you know. And um yeah. one of the things uh in chat, Ali was asking about the comment that you made with not with kind of having to come to terms with not having the freedom that freelance offers of so just like, well I'm I'm gonna work on my thing now and I'll make up for my freelance stuff tomorrow um mm-hmm. and you kind of had to get over that was there anything specific that you had to do to kind of train yourself to get over that
1: um it's just about having like a a better routine for myself and adjusting that um freelance like i kind of had a routine but it was loose right like i kind of loosely could decide like oh i like to start work around this time i'll do you know and i would write a schedule for myself every morning or something and it would just kind of be like all right i'll work for 1 hour on this client and 1 hour for this client um two hours for them and then afterwards you know i'll do two hours of my own personal stuff or whatever um and it's just trying to adapt to that and know like okay if my morning meeting is at 10 30 for wild blue well then if i start work at 9 30 i have an hour that i can do whatever i want before i then have obligations to join this meeting and you know participate in work stuff um and so and i don't mind the routine i actually really like it when i can get into a consistent routine and like get these things going but only if i can fit in the things that i want to do right if i if i'm part of a routine but i don't get any choice i don't get any freedom to do something that i want then it just feels awful and like i don't i like what am i even doing this for um but uh yeah if i can if i can make time for it right then uh then it feels a little bit better
0: you're very efficient sometimes i feel like it takes me an (laughs) hour just to like sit down Get Photoshop open, get you know get the file open, <laughs> like get everything ready and by that time it would be time for the meeting
1: <laughs> yeah i uh i I try to be i guess i I have a very like structured process, but also i I'd like starting um I try to start my days, especially if I'm working on like an illustration or character concept, like I try to do studies. So I'll do like anatomy studies uh, that kind of are related somewhat to what I'm going to be working on that day. And it's a 30 minute investment. So it's me not technically working, but that 30 minute investment ends up making the work throughout the day a lot easier to do because I don't feel like I'm like fumbling around and like trying to remember again what it's like to draw, even though it was just what I was doing the other day. Um, And instead, it feels like I'm kind of sharp and I'm on it and still, you know able to do what i want to do
0: so that's helped me but i don't know well let's let's switch gears and start talking about your game that's uh (laughs) i don't want us to run out of time before we talk about one of the most important pieces of all this i told you i told you i I could talk a lot
2: (laughs) (laughs) well the positive uh, the feedback has been positive in chat so they enjoy your storytelling so far oh great Um, (laughs) so what drove you to things are going well for you so what drove you to uh start to to make your own game like uh was it just for fun is ruin your life
1: it's because things were going well for me i had to (laughs) i had to have some negativity you know i had to have something beating me down every day um no uh i i made the realization right after i became full-time and freelance because again, it's that thing we were talking about with tunnel vision for goals is that when you have that tunnel vision for goals, once you reach that goal, um, your, your whole world kind of shatters and crumbles around you because the thing that you were striving for for so long, now you have it and you have to completely like warp your brain and figure out, like, well, what, is, what do I do now? Like, what's the next thing? And is the next thing worth it? Because I'm feeling the feeling I feel right now for accomplishing this goal. Will I feel that again? Do I just want to feel this over and over again? Um, And so it was when I became full-time in freelance, I was working like 12 and 14-hour days just churning out Pathfinder illustrations. And I was like, this fucking sucks. Like, I don't want to do this shit. And so in my spare time, I was stuck in my office. uh, And uh, I, I just decided, like, I really want to make games. Like, I'd wanted to make games for a little bit but always kind of thought I needed a programmer and I needed this other team of people. If I was going to make video games and I kind of told myself or decided like, if I make a board game, I can just make that myself. Um, and so basically since then I've kind of, as a hobby just started designing board games and stuff. But this last year, uh, almost exactly a year ago, uh, I started developing the game I'm developing now, which is the closest I've gotten to a final release. And, uh, as far as, as far as things are looking right now, we'll hopefully uh, have a Kickstarter launch this year is the goal.
2: So do you anticipate this being a source of revenue for you, or is this like an output of a creative expression of yourself?
1: Um, man, I don't see myself as a very creative person. <laughs> so it's weird to think of it as creative expression. Um, I guess it's kind of that, though. I guess it's it's like it's uh, a lot of it's not a great motivation, but a lot of what gets me into doing things is seeing a bad version of it and thinking that I can do it better. Um, <laughs> and there's some things I feel that way, and I stop myself because I'm like, no, 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 I can't make like a better movie than this movie because I know nothing about making movies. And then there's other things like with a board game where I'm like, this board game sucks. I think I could make a better board game. <laughs> because i want to play this type of game or something like that um and so uh i i guess yeah i I never really saw it as a way of making money i hope i can make money from it because i really really enjoy it and it gives me that kind of like feeling of freedom of getting to work on whatever i want but uh yeah i guess so i guess it's creative expression i guess
2: did you have any uh, game design experience you don't have movie making experience but you have game design (laughs) experience
1: um no not really i mean i it it wasn't until i started doing this that i like suddenly had a big flashback and realized that when i was like six years old i would you know draw cards in this fake card game with my brother and i and we'd make up these card games and stuff and uh in our downstairs living room or whatever and pretend like we could somehow play it um so unless that counts unless me not playing a real card game that i tried making at seven years old counts um otherwise i always had a fascination with like making tabletop rpgs and stuff after playing D and D um that kind of stuff but uh no no official experience whatsoever
2: <laughs> so it seems like uh making a tabletop rpg would have been like the lower bar to entry thing why didn't you uh try doing that as like a stepping stone or something
1: i disagree i think making a tabletop rpg is one of the hardest things to do i mean like uh, a
2: supplement rather than like a game in and of itself
1: well, uh, cause I didn't want to make a supplement <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> Take that I, it, it started, I feel like what a lot of supplements probably start is it starts with people homebrewing their own D and D games and they're like, D and D should have this system. And so then they start doing that and then they'll get into supplement making. But our homebrews got so crazy that me and another friend were just like, but what if the game was just like this? What if the whole game was just like this thing? And that's what got us set off on it. Um, and so I did work on a tabletop RPG for like three or four months. Uh, and I'm glad that died because I have no idea. I, there's so many things I started and stopped on. And I look back and I'm like, thank God I didn't do that because I was an idiot. I did not know what I was doing at all. And I'm, I'm sure I'm going to have that same feeling a year from now when I look back on the game I'm working on now.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, if you stopped everything that you're doing just because you, you know, felt inadequate about it we'd (laughs) we'd never get anything done
1: oh no that's why i'm gonna i'm gonna come out with this one and then still i'm gonna be horribly embarrassed other people will say they like it and i'll be all bashful and be like no stop it's bad you know it's gonna be that thing
0: (laughs) i i know that you're part of a you know kind of like a small group of of game makers there's this sort of you know little discord group that you guys have and do you feel like that helps you like like kind of like a i don't want to put words in your guys' mouth but do you see it as like kind of like an accountability group where you all sort of keep each other honest and moving forward
1: that's actually the exact word that we use okay. um when when talking about it so it's perfect uh yeah uh it's weird because it seems like such a no-brainer but when i was getting better at art i had accountability from other artists in you know sketchbooks i'd post on or forums or whatever and uh we started this I don't think we even thought of it as like an accountability thing I think we just got together because um yeah like my friend Gavin and I we were talking about making games because he had made a game bullets and teeth uh a, a few years ago and uh him and I were in a uh at a cabin with uh our significant others and just got to talking about game design because I was working on a game and um it, I guess like he had started talking to his friend and they started developing the sequel to Bullets and Teeth uh shortly after that and uh fast forward a couple months later and uh Gavin introduced me to Tyler who's also been working on a game for 2 years and uh we we just started getting together once a week and we were like let's just test our games let's just get these out like we all want to do this and and complete this project of ours so like Let's do this. And I think every single week since March, we've gotten together and tested once a week, except for, you know, one or two here or there.
2: So you guys have been sharing resources with each other on that Discord. Um, mm-hmm. wh- what are some of the resources that uh, you have found like to be the most helpful, like websites or blogs or what have you?
1: Um, I don't know. There's tons of good videos out there on YouTube. Like, I love Game Maker's Toolkit um mark brown's videos are really really good um extra credits has an awesome video series on game design um uh actually the best the best solo resource that i've had like just on on uh for my own development was the art of game design book uh by jesse shell and uh that book is like super super deep goes in depth in a lot of things um and and is great uh but Uh, I actually think the biggest thing has just been forcing myself to present what I think of as a game to other people and then hearing and seeing their reactions. Um, The worst thing is presenting what you think is a game to people and they go, but what's the game? Like, I don't, I'm playing it, but like, what are we doing? Like, (laughs) this isn't fun. This (laughs) isn't anything. Um, And uh, it's a lot of parallels, I feel like, with art development when growing that. Uh, and presenting art to someone and thinking, like, oh, this is cool. I made this thing, like, I'm excited to show it. And other people are like, fucking sucks. Like, <laughs> the anatomy's all wrong. And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess you're right. Uh, and so basically, just forcing myself is essentially like doing a new portfolio piece or a new drawing or something, you know, every week and showing it to someone and having them critique it. That's what I'm doing, but with a game. Um, and it's grown and changed like so much in that amount of time.
2: So, when I did, you mentioned it changed a lot. When I uh, play tested with you one time ago, it was a card game crossed with a board game. Yeah. Uh, what <laughs> would you describe it as now? What's the elevator pitch? Uh,
1: I believe it's the the way I tried to summarize it was fast paced tactical uh, miniatures game, um, and I think that's the most like. Succinct. I don't. I've never used that word, so I'm hoping that's using it correctly. That's way correct. of putting. It, thank God. Um, I think that's the the best way to put it. Um, it doesn't use cards anymore. Um, it's entirely miniature based and uh, just using like a action basic action system. Um, for for the game. So I my goal is to make it as easy and approachable and simple as possible, where like someone could take it out of the box and if you have some game experience you probably wouldn't need to read most of the rulebook and you'd be able to start playing
0: it. Without knowing anything about your game, I immediately wanted to say, so it's like Warhammer in a (laughs) board game. (laughs) Kind of. Uh, In my
1: my little experience getting uh, and learning all this stuff, I've had to research a lot of other board games and it turns out uh, a lot of people kind of like refer to my game like kind of like MOBAs they mentioned League of Legends uh and it's not quite like that it's I guess it's more like World of Warcraft arenas if you could kind of compare it um but uh there's a lot of games that actually are just miniature tactics games that straight out of the box you know you start and you pick either a faction or class or something and um apparently there's actually a big big genre bloated genre of like uh, miniature sports games basically where it's kind of Mm -hmm. like you know it's futuristic sports of these heroes fighting it out or duking it out in an arena and um so there's a lot out there there's a lot more games than i thought there were out there that's for sure
2: so i know from my experience when i was uh doing indie game design and even before then with Project Spark, that people would bite off a lot more they can chew when it comes to making a, a game, whether it's a video game or a board game. Mm-hmm. How did you manage the scope of the game to be something that you yourself could handle?
1: Um, well, I thought it was going to be a much smaller game than it ended up becoming. Um, then it became a huge game, and now it's back down to a somewhat smaller game. Uh, but really, I just... I because of all the projects I've done in the past I just kind of told myself like whatever it is I'll I'll do it like it's not a tabletop rpg you know so thank god for that like <laughs> if it were that I don't think I'd be able to do all the work that goes into it but um I just kind of decided like I'm going to I'm going to go for what is a more fun game and not worry as much about the art requirements and art assets um I have to worry about production costs so, like, amount of miniatures, complexity of miniatures, whether they're painted or not, stuff like that needs to go into consideration. But otherwise, uh, yeah, I, I just tried not to think about that and make the most fun game. And luckily, the more fun game did not involve individual cards with unique illustrations. <laughs> so thank God for that.
0: When you st- said that it started growing much larger than you initially anticipated, did you have to like kill some darlings in order to scale it back or did you s- see it coming and then be like whoa 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 back off from that got to make it small again
1: Um basically I started the game in a not great place and I think it's just purely out of inexperience mm. Um I didn't know what I wanted the game to what I wanted the game's core mechanics to play like I didn't know why I was excited about designing this type of game um, and I thought for a long time that it was the win condition um, of, of the game, and then I realized that I actually just love playing games like Overwatch or Super Smash Bros. Or I'm not a big league player, but like the thing I love most are like the champions that you get to play and the characters and the different ways you can play the same kind of game depending on the character you're playing. And so that's when I was like, oh, that's just what I want to design. Like I want like a system where I can let these characters shine through in the gameplay um so then i i then just had to scrap my entire win condition that was in the game for like i think since the beginning of it and that was like six months in the development um and then there was another one to two months of figuring out what it was going to be replaced with in order to make these characters really like flourish and shine correctly in the game design um and i think it's in a pretty good place now but we'll we'll see in the next couple months (laughs)
2: What was the driving force for deciding how the game was gonna play? Was do you look for what the audience would like, or was this purely driven on what Forrest cared about?
1: It's just what's fun. Um I I realized uh when after enough tests that like ended in it either ended in frustration, it ended abruptly, and it just felt weird. Um I I ended up I opened up that art of game design book, which I'd read at that point, but I just wanted a refresher course and uh kind of looked at um uh the author goes over interest curves and uses it in an example of uh being like an entertainer like if you're an entertainer on stage or you're you know even it goes into movies as well as like you kind of start you know with that big explosion right of excitement and then you kind of have these little escalating hills and then there's a grand finale um and then hopefully people leave like kind of wanting a little bit more, like slightly more excited than when they came in, but not like as excited as the grand finale, because that's just not reasonable. Um, and uh, I drew the interest curve out of my game and how it played. And uh, there is a little bump, which is that's basically choosing your character in the beginning, which I consider is the hook of the game. So a little bump, and then it just slowly increases. <laughs> like It's like a single, small, little hill. And it's not even that great of a hill. That goes upwards in excitement. Um, and so I just uh, was like, I need to find out, like, how do I get those, those bumps? You know, how do I get those moments of, of excitement where people are seeing the game changing, and they care about it, and they're invested in it?
2: Did you do any research into other similar games?
1: Yeah, I've looked at a lot. Um, Brutality, Super Fantasy Brawl, or uh, some recent ones. Uh, Aristea is one I re- looked at recently. Uh, I was just recommended Rum and Bones. is like a it's like a pirate Moba board game. Um, I haven't played any of these because I don't know who would play them with me. But um, <laughs> uh, but looking at a lot of videos and how to play and the gameplay mechanics that they use and stuff, and um, it's it's funny seeing a lot of games when I that i didn't know about uh and looking at like where that game developed and seeing like oh they kind of had the same thought that i had but they went like this direction with it or they're doing it this way or something and uh it's very interesting
2: there's one resource that i want to suggest uh you might have already heard me tell you about it but it's quantic foundry they Mm, have a board game motivation board game motivation profile so if you fill it out with games that are In a certain genre that you like or if you're a gamer if you're a game designer the game similar to yours it'll spit out other similar recommendations
1: i hadn't considered that filling it in with games similar to mine that's actually a really good a good call to find my demographic yeah i i filled that out and like sent it to a bunch of other friends of mine i'm like what games do you like and like it's a it's a really good resource
0: on that topic of demographics um it might be a good place to return to the marketing thing that's one of our the 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 pillars of this podcast and one thing that you like to shy away from so i'm curious to know (laughs) that like when you're then handed a product that sort of i don't know well maybe market it (laughs) maybe it maybe maybe requires is the appropriate word you tell me what are your what are your plans in the future for that
1: Yeah, so I've talked to a couple people about it. Um, Not only uh, friends, Gavin and Kevin, that designed Bullets and Teeth and talked to them about what they ended up doing, but um, recently had a discussion with the guy that designed the game, Madara, on Kickstarter. Um, And it seems just basically uh, it's not the greatest way of doing it. But unless you have previous clout uh, for your name, like uh, the oatmeal designing Exploding Kittens on Kickstarter or something, um, which I don't have, then you just kind of have to uh, shovel a lot of money into ads. Mm. Um, (laughs) Seems to be the consistent thing that I've heard from people is Mm -hmm. that uh, it differs as far as like what ads that you should invest in, you know, depending on people that are on Facebook and what they're interested in or people on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. But um, that's right now, that's kind of my plan. And then to offer a free version of the game on Tabletop Simulator so that people can test it uh, if they'd like. Hmm. but uh otherwise no grand scheme kind of uh marketing i i plan on because i'll have a lot of art and a lot of stuff to share i plan on doing uh the instagram algorithm thing and trying to post consistently same with on twitter and facebook and try to build some hype that way but i feel like it's it's limited you know a lot of my audience don't know me as a game designer um they don't know that i care about it they probably don't care about it that much themselves I imagine some people will want to probably purchase a game I make just because they like my art, you know, or they like me or something and want to support me. But uh, I, I'm going to need a much larger group of people <laughs> uh, if it's going to successfully fund.
0: Is it just a, a time thing that keeps you away from like streaming more and kind of generating a little bit more groundswell in that way?
1: Yeah, um, streaming, I, I work really slow when I stream because I talk so much so uh <laughs> I, I like get almost nothing done well on stream uh so it's hard i wish that i could stream and do work and feel like oh, okay yeah i got you know really good amount of work done in this two hours for my personal project but uh it's always a trade-off of like do i want to socialize uh or do i want to get a really good chunk of work done with have my you ever,
0: spare time Now, have you ever thought about doing things like focus streams you know where you have like a little you know part of your overlay is like i'm in focus mode now and your camera and mic is off but then you you know have like a little countdown to when your chat break is going to be and then you have like 10 15 minute chat throwdown yeah. and then go back to focus or
1: yeah i have done that with like study streams and stuff where i just start the stream with like 30 minutes where i'm not talking or anything like that and it's probably a pretty good idea i think i could probably get away with that um but yeah it still it still comes down a little bit to time because i don't have a huge window of opportunity sure um and then on top of that you know mondays i record a podcast with the guys uh on the discord wednesday we do test nights which last all night um and roll out like immediately when i'm done with work um and so just not a lot of like open opportunities to try and fill in you know two hours of time here and there without uh you know my wife really wanting to see my face for longer than 15 minutes
0: <laughs> daria in the chat mentioned something interesting which you may or may not have thought of but uh mm. finding people who are influencers in your market and actually paying them for posts is that something that you would think about doing
1: uh yeah the problem is that when it comes to board gaming most other markets that or industries it seems to be a good idea with board gaming you don't get a lot of people unless you invest a lot of money into some big names like tabletop or geek and sundry um and they cost a lot a lot of money um you could also do shut up and sit down i think they they don't cost quite as much as geek and sundry but um there's just not as much widespread uh stuff for the board game community it's a huge industry it's like two billion dollar industry or something like that but in comparison to video games that's like nothing yeah um and so uh it's just uh yeah i haven't heard the best results from investing into influencers
0: would Um, you would you think about approaching publishers you know to actually like start distributing it for you
1: yeah it really depends on the type of publisher i've also heard some not great stories with with them uh a lot of publishers uh depending on how the the contract goes they can make a lot of actual design decisions Mm. um, decisions to move away from what you maybe initially intended for the game Um, they also more than likely want some sort of a say in how the kickstarter is campaigned um, Mm. and run and I don't really enjoy that because I think that can cause a lot of issues if it's not done carefully Um, so basically I mean the other side of me designing this board game is that uh, I I'm not a great team player um i so uh anytime i've tried working on like a video game with someone i get i work a lot and i get very competitive and stuff and so it's sort of this weird vow to myself of like i'm gonna try and do this like as much myself as possible i need a ton of help obviously from outside sources and information that i get from other peers and stuff but um yeah trying to go no publisher no no nothing like that
2: we uh, had Gavin, your friend, uh, hmm. on this uh, podcast a few weeks ago. So if anybody would like to know a little bit more about what Gavin suggested uh, people do, uh, they can go back and check that episode. It's a lot of uh, similar content, but he also hmm. goes a lot more into uh, how to start a Kickstarter. Oh, there's Gavin in chat. Um, Get out of here.
0: Yeah, actually do I don't remember the exact episode number, but it was Kickstarter 101. So if anybody wanted mm-hmm. to go back and find it, that's the, that's the title.
2: But the really quick version of it to the question in chat was, uh, should you uh, pay people to review board games? Uh, there's a little bit of return on it with uh, some, but Facebook ads were far better in Gavin's experience.
1: And I mean, to go in line with that, when when uh, talking to another developer, they had mentioned that Facebook was their least... Uh, profitable, and that they'd actually mentioned that the website KickTrack um, was was surprisingly good for them, which I'd never heard of. It's a k i c k t r a q dot com. Um, I didn't
2: know you could pay for mode on there. I knew that was the place that I would check for the better stats on following other kickstarters.
1: Yeah, you can apparently pay some money and basically have like an entire full page banner ad of of your project that's that's live at the moment. Um, and uh, and so I really think it's an audience thing because I do think that like. You know, something like like Gavin's game Bullets and Teeth, when on a YouTube series like Dice Tower, like that's not going to do very well because Dice Tower tends to be a little bit more in like the medium to high complexity board games. They like more components, more moving parts and stuff. Um, and uh, so it, I don't think it would do as well as far as like paying them to be the influencers to review your product but if it's something like my game I I don't even think my game counts towards something they'd probably be interested in but it's like closer as far as like what they would maybe seem interested in so it just depends it depends on who you're reaching out to
2: so if this were let's say you wild blue were to you know get nuked and suddenly stop, cease existing uh how would you treat the board game production differently would you at all
1: probably not i just i would take on whatever freelance you know and uh and just try and fit in board game work you know one to two hours a day here and there where i can and um i mean there's not much else i can do really uh without some sort of like consistent funding other than you know i could work like a lot for one month and then take a month off using some of the extra funds i collected i know some artists that have done that to build up uh time and momentum for kind of launching a product, and I might do that during the Kickstarter period and just take a month off, but uh, if that were the case, but otherwise, yeah, I think the plan is, is at this point, it's just keep chugging along with what time I have.
2: Do you uh, foresee a potential future where board games are all you make, or is that like a unreasonable thought?
1: Um, it'd be fun, but I, I'm too early in it, you know? Like, I'm still kind of in the Uh, I've worked a lot in the game design aspect now and gotten to see the exciting parts of that and like the really not exciting parts in that but um, I have no idea what kind of a beast production is going to be like I have no idea what marketing is going to be like and then distribution is a whole other thing and so until I'm through the entire the full gauntlet you know of what could happen and what it's really like to be a solo creator and solo developer of this is like I it's too early to tell it sounds fun (laughs) from an inexperienced viewpoint
0: (laughs) are you having fun
1: uh yeah I think so the least fun thing is is my inexperience I think that that is probably it is the least fun thing in the same way with art is if you're looking at an illustration and you know it's not good but you don't know why um and uh you know eventually you just get better at seeing what the problem is slowly over time
2: I'm gonna steal uh Joby's line and say we have to have you on later uh in the future <laughs> when uh you've gone through all of this and we didn't find out what uh, shook loose.
1: Yeah, you'll see me. I'll look more more gaunt. My hair will be gone or grayed. It'll be perfect. I'm excited. You know,
2: so basically you say you'll look like me with a, a But without the gray. beard.
1: Yeah. If, at least if, you've got the beard to if balance. You crossed,
0: out. If you crossed you and me, then we would have forest. There you go. <laughs> perfect.
2: Uh so uh, where should we be following you or uh where can someone follow you for more information on your board game cuz i know it's on the the the, uh, the discord group but is it anywhere else
1: no uh i'm trying to go the route of don't tell anyone about this thing uh at least keep keep it to a as minimal of discussion as possible just be very vague i'm working <laughs> on something working on a game that's it um so uh yeah i haven't i don't think i've made any major, maybe I've tweeted about it once, you know, but that's that's it really. Um, but I will, you know, when the time comes, it'll just be Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, you know, anywhere you can find me, I'll be posting it all over. I'll be posting the art that I do for it on my art station. and uh, But it's probably going to come in one big chunk, you know.
2: So uh, your Discord server is open to the public. Um, mm-hmm. And people could go in there and if they were super fans of yours follow along there right
1: uh yeah i think it's everything is totally open as far as i know so anything that we post and like you know the game makers section if i post some update on my game i think it's visible to people otherwise just the general game makers is uh is open um so anything we talk about in there share in there uh is, is open to people
2: and if somebody were interested in making their own game they could join the server and get the game maker role and participate in the uh, play test as well
1: absolutely yeah so far uh it's still a relatively small group of game developers but since starting i think we've gotten three or four people that have come in and showcased their their own games and we've tested it and we have a weekly sign-up sheet and it's totally open so if you come in and you're interested in either playing uh talking about it uh testing your own game whatever uh it's it's free to whoever's interested in it.
2: Jimmy, do you have any questions before we wrap this uh, portion up and go to the uh, questions that we didn't get to earlier?
0: Uh, Well, that's what I was going to say. I was going to just mention that uh, yeah, there was a couple that we had on hand. Uh, One of them goes back to the beginning when you mentioned that you no longer view the progression uh, in linear terms in terms of moving from Paizo to D&D to Magic um and uh, it was sam peterson that asked this question and he was he was curious he's good people definitely good (laughs) shout out sam peterson and uh he was curious if you would be willing to expand on that a little bit like how has that changed and how do you do it now
1: it's more of like a means to an end right is like when i got work with magic um it was like the most triumphant moment I think I've ever felt. It was so insane, you know, and it's great. And it's a great moment to strive for. But now if I get asked to do a magic card, I'm like, yeah, like, <laughs> like, I don't know if I will this time, you know, and that feeling, I think and that's me you know i think some people can get really stoked and like really want to work on that ip some more and get really involved and a lot of people just have an entire career of being a magic artist but um for me it's like i knew once i started working with them even if i worked with them like consistently for years uh with them as a client they were still just a client to me um you know they were still just my income and what i need in order to pay my rent or pay my mortgage or whatever it is um and i mean something like a game uh in my in my case the game for me was something that i could latch on to that it didn't it wasn't about the money you know it was just about something i wanted to do um i want to make a game because i want to play a game like this you know and so the same reason like i think a better reason to make art is You want to make a piece of art because you want to see art like this you know you you haven't seen something like this you want to get it off your chest and get it out there into the world and make it um and uh it's very freeing when you aren't kind of chained to the idea of being attached to to clients not that it's still not like a fun pursuit you know there's plenty of clients that you know it's still fun to think like oh yeah i could work on like you know mock splash illustrations and maybe get hired by like riot splash team and like that's a huge achievement and it feels really good and it's great for for your career but um uh yeah it's it's moving beyond that you know and considering like well what what would happen if you reached the peak of your career what then
2: i know you are primarily a digital artist have you considered moving anywhere into the traditional uh mediums because i know with a magic art it's substantially more profitable to do some traditional work that you can sell in the Magic the Gathering uh uh what's it called art market on uh Facebook yeah. group.
1: Yeah. Uh I do I do sketches now before working on most uh most magic cards because of the art market and because of how profitable it can be. Um and uh, that's really where you make up for the fact that magic isn't like the most high paying for like high end illustration work uh is that the consistent income that you get from artist proofs uh or signing cards or from originals uh it really makes up for that um i mean hell there is one that just sold recently i saw that it was was like twenty thousand dollars or something like that on on the market it's crazy it's those are full oil paintings but like still it's you can make some very good money as a magic artist if you work traditionally
2: lands especially forty thousand plus
1: oh yeah that's that's good money
2: so if you were uh, to get another card, will you do like value sketches, color uh, uh, what call it, color studies, uh, thumbnails, a final sketch, and just add those up on top of each other to sell the same thing like 10 times?
1: I mean, I, it's weird. It's like I tend, because I'm so go, 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 and my, my main focus is on like my my personal projects, I tend not to think about like the ideal way of capitalizing on on something, even though I probably should if I want to make more money from it um but uh at the very least i do a sketch now and uh sometimes i do thumbnails i didn't even consider thumbnails as like a way to make money off of it until i was talking to a uh, uh mike lineman that work uh he he runs the the group uh, one of the people that runs the group the art market um and uh he asked me and like double checked he's like you said that you didn't have like any original sketches for your bolt hound Uh, image that you did and i just kind of like off the cuff was like i mean i think i have some like sketchbook sketches and i sent him a photo and it was like some thumbnails and a bunch of drawings of dogs or studies of dogs i did around and he was like this is perfect why didn't you send this to me and i was like ah i didn't know i didn't i just thought like oh i'm just prepping the image you know getting it ready for the client figuring out what i'm doing and he's like that could sell for like five (laughs) hundred dollars like okay i didn't know
2: yeah, so, so it's like a yeah. five hundred dollars like two hundred to five hundred, maybe even fifteen hundred for uh for a sketch. And mm. you can get a slightly less for the thumbnails, slightly less for the color studies, and slightly less for the uh, value studies if someone wanted to go that route.
1: Yeah. Um, depending on the the value of the card too. If the card is really rare, um uh or a really sought after card, then yeah, it becomes even you know exponentially uh, more valuable.
2: And I do have one more question. Uh, you said you were doing work for Paizo, and that was paying your bills. But my understanding was Paizo pays $150 per character. How many hours were you spending on these characters? Was it like a two-hour character or what?
1: So um, I whenever I started first working with them, I knew I could not keep working like this. Uh, otherwise, I would die. Oh, no. Um, but... <laughs> so I knew I, I couldn't keep working like this, otherwise, I knew that I, I, was, I was probably literally going to die if I kept that pace up. But um, what I ended up doing is I invested a lot of time into the first couple of assignments that I got from them so that I could get really good portfolio pieces out of it, earn their trust, build repertoire, you know, like show them like I'm a valuable asset to, to hire, and you're getting like a good good work for what you're investing your money into. Um, and that worked and I landed them as a consistent client for about a year and a half. But, um, it did get to the point that like, because I had to balance between, you know, an assignment from them that was like five character images and an illustration, uh, as well as doing, you know, two smite illustrations in a month, as well as doing, you know, some concepts for like liquid development or something, whatever they were hiring me out for. I had to try and churn out like a character a day. And so I think I got it down to like the lowest amount of time for a character was like six to eight hours. Um, But I was like, stressed beyond belief. (laughs) Like, it got really bad with them. Like, I got so stressed trying to finish that stuff. It was not a good time.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a terrible amount of uh, dollars per hour. That's like,
1: don't do for... the
0: math no 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 don't <laughs> yeah. it's uh it's a little over
1: i mean it's like what slightly under uh 20 dollars $20 an hour so
2: yeah that's terrible especially for yeah. when you're giving away the uh, all the rights to it
1: but yeah uh, it's not great <laughs> it's why i did fantasy characters i was done working with them and i was like what if i just did my own and then just got paid forever from them and it worked out
2: i'm just shocked that you uh were you able to make a living at all doing that because that seems like you would have uh, ruined your arm and uh, your career forever doing it. That much, yeah. For that, I tried.
1: I tried not to think about if I got an arm injury. Luckily, I was very, very lucky in that I never got any sort of shoulder issues or wrist issues or anything. Um This is also I,
0: when you were much younger, right? Because you're like what, like twenty one now? And uh, no, like... I'm
1: I'm twenty. I wish I was twenty one <laughs> still. I'm twenty six now. I think I'm twenty six.
0: But that's the, the in t- serious... In seriousness, though, you were a bit younger, so probably that
1: helped right. a little bit. Right, yeah. yeah. Pro- probably. Um, but yeah, if, if my wife wasn't working at the time either, like, yeah, it, it would have sucked. If mm. I lost a client or if she lost her job or something, like, we would have been screwed. Fair enough,
2: right. fair enough. Was there uh, anything else you wanted to touch on before we uh, start wrapping up?
1: Um, nothing I can think of. I mean, is there's anything... You can think of that we didn't talk about, but yeah, I'm good. <laughs> All right,
2: so before uh, Joby does his normal question, I want to pose to you uh, anything you want to shout out about your own work or uh, where people can find you, what you want people to know about you, that sort of thing.
1: Um, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and ArtStation and probably everywhere else. YouTube as well. You just type my name in, and I'll show up probably. Um, this is where my skills and marketing come into play. Um, otherwise, I'm working on a game that I probably will not be able to show or talk about to great lengths for months. So, uh, hang tight. I- <laughs> <laughs> Occasionally, I'll post a doodle, maybe, or a, a quippy thought, you know, as a tweet, and then I'll get embarrassed and delete it later.
2: And you do stream sometimes, which are about as, as amusing as this podcast. Maybe more right.
1: so. I do stream almost once every three months, which is really good timing. It's very consistent. <laughs> Great schedule that I keep. So yeah, uh, if you like to see inconsistent pop-ups of notifications of what I'm doing, I'm the person to follow.
0: Well, Forrest, we're going to pick up some slack for you, and we're going to include all of your links in the show notes so definitely Thank anybody you. that's li- listening to this after the fact of the recording make sure you go check all of those things out and our last question Forrest what's one thing that's happening in the world right now that you're excited about
1: um,
2: this is always I the one that stumps know. people
0: yeah this is the stumper <laughs> <laughs>
2: We should start including it all the uh, questions that we send them beforehand.
1: <laughs> um, to get real, I'm actually I'm I'm very happy to see uh, progress in a uh, vaccine for COVID because um, one thing I mean obviously for the the amazing you know reasons of how it will help other people out there, but as a selfish reason, um, it's very hard trying to develop a board game when you don't have people to play with uh, and you can't see your friends as consistently as you'd like. <laughs> And so uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to being able to actually spend time with people uh, in person again more consistently and without fear and stuff. so uh, still a ways away, but it's going to be nice when it happens.
0: Well, that got a rounding that got a standing ovation in chat, so <laughs> kudos for that. Right <clears throat> Well, Forrest, man, this has been a whirlwind. I, I'm stoked on how much we, we covered um it's really exciting to talk to you about all the things that you're doing and moose is absolutely correct um i say it a lot but i really mean it we got to have you back on and catch up with you on all of these things in the future um yeah yeah and so thank you so much for your time man i know you're super busy and it really means a lot that you took the time for us today
1: well i'm still on vacation as of uh tonight at midnight and tomorrow i start work again so you caught me at a perfect time but i uh, there go. really it was it was great talking to you guys it was very nice all right man well i'm gonna wave goodbye and then hit the